Hello, and welcome to another episode of Chatter, a podcast from The Gist, with me, Josh Hamilton. Microplastics are everywhere. Absolutely everywhere. They're tiny little particles of plastic that break off from plastics in our clothes, rubbish, packaging, and basically anything plastic. But how much danger do they pose to humans, wildlife, or ecosystems? To discuss this, I was lucky enough to get to chat to scientists Kate Rowley and Katie McCoy, who've been researching the effects of microplastic on wildlife in rivers. If you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list. And don't forget, my book, Brexit, The Establishment Civil War, is now available for pre-order on Amazon. You'll find the links in the description below. So, here's Kate and Katie. Let's let's uh, let's jump right into this thing. So, um, Kate and Kitty, it's uh, an absolute pleasure to to have you on my show. Uh, thanks very much for having us, Josh. Yeah, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, well, I mean, as terrifying as the topic is, I'm hoping we can try mm-hmm. and help me and um, th- my listeners enjoy or understand a little more about microplastics before before we're done so um yeah why don't we why don't we just start off for for someone who's who's never even heard the term um microplastics which i hadn't until a few years ago um when you sort of give us an idea of what they are and, and how they're created yeah of course so as the name suggests they're very small pieces of plastic um which are classified as being between about 300 microns and five millimeters in diameter um, and microplastics can either be primary or secondary. They're the sort of two categories we classify them by. Um, so primary are those that are specifically created to be, um, you know, microscopic in size. So things like uh, microbeads, glitter, for example, they're manufactured to be that size in the first place. And secondary microplastics are those that are formed from the fragmentation of larger pieces of plastic. Um, so things like films, fibres, um, so if you think of the, like, the breakdown of the plastic bag and the fragments you'd get from that, um, they'd be classified as secondary. Ooh, okay, so... We need to go on to how they are created as well. Yeah, that'd be great. Perfect. So, um, yeah, as I've said, they can either be uh, manufactured to be microscopic in size. So, yeah, that's one way that they can be created is just the intentional creation of these small pieces of plastic. Um, yeah, and they can as I've said, we form through a fragmentation of larger pieces and they're what we call secondary microplastics. Um, they're often formed um, through biological, chemical, mechanical processes, um, break larger fragments, larger pieces of plastic down into those fragments. Um, and UV light as well, um, that has a significant effect on the structure of plastics because I'm sure you've seen before that if you leave like a bucket out in the garden, for example, it'll go quite brittle um, because of the um, light effect and that will break the plastics down as well. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. I didn't know that. Um, so, like, how how pervasive are are microplastics in in our water? Like, what, what how like if I'm just taking some some random water from from somewhere in in London, for example, like what are the chances that there are microplastics in the water? I think we've got a very good chance of <laughs> finding some plastic. Yeah. Um, so my work was actually focused on microplastics in the Thames water column, um, and we found. Um, high concentrations of microplastics and we actually estimated there to be around 94,000 microplastics flowing down the Thames at Greenwich every second 
Um, so I think you'd have a pretty good chance if you put a you know bottle in there and you analysed it. I think you would find uh, microplastics there. They are very pervasive, and we know that they, you know, have been found nearly everywhere from the you know deepest parts of our oceans to um, yeah, even in soils as well. Water, wow. they are they are everywhere. Ninety four thousand every second. That's such a huge, like, mind-blowing number. Um, that's like, wow, that's that's basically like a a million every, wow, every 10 or every, like, 12 seconds. That's that's a stunning amount. Um, like, what's, what sort of effect are, the, so, right, yeah, maybe maybe we should move move on now to, to what sort of effect they're having on, on wildlife and um, on the ecosystems. Um, so, yeah, why don't we start with, like, like how how much damage are these causing or are these microplastic pieces causing to to fish or to to crabs i know you'd looked at um and and sort of just life in the river what what's what's the effect of having that much plastic doing to to animals and um so i suppose we don't specifically know the direct effects on the animal's health exactly but we do know that microplastics and all plastics in general um leach toxic chemicals into their environment so if fish or other organisms ingest them then they're potentially having these toxic chemicals leached into their bodies um, and i suppose one of the the main ways that they affect these animals is because animals are eating plastics instead of regular food they're not getting the food that they need in order uh, to grow and to reproduce and to meet their energy requirements I mean, does that so? So they just they they start eating the plastic and then they can't. They're what they're they're too full to eat. Yeah, like, essentially the normal food, or or is it is it like I don't know, clogging up their their digestive system, or or like what's the um, you know, what's what's going on there? Well, it does a bit of both, really. In some animals, you know, obviously, um, I'm sure you've probably seen photos of like turtles eating plastic bags and that kind of thing because they mistake them for jellyfish. So if a turtle were to eat a plastic bag, that would mean it would probably be full and then it wouldn't eat the kind of food that it needs to be eating. And then also you have the other side of it. Um, Alex's paper actually looked at um, mitten crabs ingesting plastics and a lot of those were actually small plastics that tangled together and created like a big mesh inside the mittens, uh, the mitten crab's stomach, um, which obviously can cause like abrasion and... Um, other issues within inside the body. Okay, so so then if 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 uh, if microplastics are causing this sort of problem to to wildlife, um, then what's it doing to, to to people? Do do we do we have any idea about about what it's doing to people either through eating like seafood mm-hmm. that has microplastics in it, or just sort of ingesting them directly through through water or or um, other drinks. As far as I'm aware, there aren't any studies yet that actually show the direct effects of humans ingesting microplastics. We know we are because there's, you know, there's microplastics in the air that we breathe all the time. So we're always taking them into our bodies, but there's no studies that have looked at how they're affecting humans inside. But we do know that obviously they are being passed on, like you say, um, through the consumption of things like shellfish, because mussels are... um, organism that are quite well known to ingest plastics and then obviously humans consume muscles so it gets passed on through that route 
Yeah, you may have seen as well. Oh, sorry to interrupt. Um, there was no, an article in the Guardian. <laughs> there was an article in the Guardian this week, um, and it was looking at um, microplastic ingestion um, by babies because they're bottle fed with um, these polypropylene bottles that are used, and then they mm-hmm. ingest you know millions of microplastics just through um, being bottle fed. Um, and they, you know, the scientists said from that paper, we don't know what the health effects are, um, mm. but yeah, we do know that we are ingesting these plastics, and as a, as a Katie said, in seafood as well, um, because things like mussels, oysters, they're filter feeders, they're very prone to the ingestion of microplastics in their environment. I suppose part of the issue is as well, microplastics have really only come into public attention within the last. I mean, they've been researched for quite a few years, but they've only, you know, become a, a major talking point within maybe the last five to 10 years. So there aren't any long term studies that could look at the effects of microplastics in humans over, a, you know, a certain amount of time. Mm, definitely. So when when did this like it's the, the fact that they're airborne is 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 even more terrifying like as if we don't have enough things that we can't see in the air <laughs> yeah. to be scared of these days. Yeah. <laughs> but like when did you you like you kind of mentioned there's a new problem and yeah as like it's something I came across um a few years ago when uh when an ex-girlfriend of mine started putting our clothes in a bag to wash them and I was like mm. what are you doing um, and she tried to explain <laughs> to me about about microplastics and I was like really there's like all these tiny bits of plastic in the water surely someone would be freaking out about this um like why do you think that is that there hasn't been like any like that much study of of the area surely Surely this is like a really terrifying thing to discover for like the human race that we've all got these tiny little bits of plastic floating around in the air and all our water. And I know, su- we're, Well, I suppose yeah. ignorance is bliss, isn't it, really? As long as we don't know what they're doing inside our body, people aren't too worried about them. Hmm. I, I think, oh, sorry, I cut out a little question. Um, but I, I, one thing I was going to say is that I think with microplastics, sort of the visual effects of harm you know, aren't really there, whereas it's very easy to, you know, get concerned about these larger bits of plastic when you see, you know, these shocking images of seals with, you know, fishing line around the necks and that sort of thing. With microplastics, it's very difficult to actually, you know, visualise this harm, which is why I think, in a way, it hasn't really come to light because it's not what people see, if that makes sense. Yeah, it doesn't gain the same public attention as seeing, you know, like you say, a turtle or a, a seal with fishing line wrapped around its neck. People can't often can't see microplastics at all. So, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Definitely. Where did where, so where did you guys first come across the term and then then why did you decide that you wanted to to do some some research into it? Like what what was it that inspired you to do that? Um I can't actually remember when I first heard about microplastics. I suspect somewhere along the line of my degree and during my third year uh, my undergraduate project was looking at um well I was looking at sea turtle populations but not in regards to plastics but then obviously um the sort of focus on that sort of area brought to light the issue of plastics and other forms of pollution in the ocean. I think for me it was um our supervisor Dave Morritt at our university um i was in his marine biology lectures and we had a lecture on microplastics and i remember just being you know stunned you know 
and shocked by it and you know it really really sparked my interest and I think that summer I was that was in my second year and I was going to Greece and um, for a, a like an ecology field course and they had some microplastics work going on there where they'd look at uh, microplastics in the stomach of mackerel and on our last day um, we got to do our own individual research project and of course everyone's going off on these kayaks going to look at sea urchins and I was the only person who wanted to be in a lab <laughs> dissecting fish guts to look for plastic <laughs> and sort of from there um yeah I then did work in my other um, my third year research project um outside of that I did a lot of um, plastics work in the Bahamas and then I um yeah did a master's and so I just got completely immersed and I think it's a, a brilliant topic brilliant subjects we're involved in it's so new um and you know current in a way now because people are um beginning to realize the effects of it and it's yeah great to be part of this new research mm. so is there like what do you think the 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 long-term consequences are that we're looking at of of, of the water being infected with or infested with plastics like like how long do you think it's been an issue that we didn't notice it as an issue and and you know how how, how quickly do you think we can we can try and move away from the kind of plastics that are, are producing the the microplastics it's probably been an issue for about a hundred years now because plastics i think uh were being produced initially in the 1920s and obviously, ever since they've been created, we've had to find more and more ways to dispose of them. And for people who have no idea about proper disposal of these products, they'll just end up, you know, on the ground somewhere or chucked in the water. So I suspect, obviously, they wouldn't have been a massive issue when they were first produced. But, you know, since people started using them for almost every part of our daily life, they're just becoming more and more of an issue. Yeah, I think um, a long-term effect of, you know, having plastics, um, you know, disposed of improperly and in the marine environment is that we know that these plastics will break down into microplastics and they will persist. So, yeah, long-term effect is that we will just end up with more microplastics in our, you know, marine yeah. environment, especially if these plastics are just left to break down because unfortunately with microplastics they break down in smaller and smaller pieces but they never actually go away um yeah. so that's why when looking at the solutions for um plastic pollution it's really important to stop these larger bits of plastic especially getting into the wrong environment in the first place because it's far more difficult to remove you know microplastics when they are broken down because yeah they they're just everywhere that's really scary that they never go away that they're literally permanent that that was that was basically my next question like eventually will they just break down to something so small they become negligible to 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 wildlife or is that wishful thinking i don't think they do because i think essentially once they get to the size of a microplastic you know obviously there are lots that we can't see with the naked eye but those are ones that Kate and I have both looked at and they're still causing issues even when you can't see them within the naked eye's range. So mm. they're always going to be an issue. And mm. it's like you say, it's very scary to think that these plastics are persisting for so long. I think 
plastic bags take something like 20 to 50 years to break down. Mm. And we, we now know a new category of plastics called nanoplastic. So, you know, the size fraction below <laughs> micro. Um, so I think, <laughs> I think that is future, you know, research as the impacts of nanoplastics now. Um, yeah. Wow. <laughs> scary stuff. Yeah, there's a scary fact for Halloween that I see pass around. I've seen pass around for the last few years is that every single toothbrush you've ever used is still out there somewhere. <laughs> oh, I didn't oh, know that. That's wow. horrible. <laughs> yeah, there's a scary Halloween fact for you. How many toothbrushes has that got to be per person? Mm. Like, I don't know, how long does a toothbrush last? Like, max six months, maybe? Maybe, max? Like, like, and yeah, then yeah. what's the purpose of... So I've definitely got at least 50, 60 toothbrushes <laughs> out there. Yeah, whether they're still in, you know, their original form or microplastic form, they'll still be there. Yeah. Wow. So there's been there's been some some like programs like the 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 I think it's the Ocean Cleanup Project um talking about how they might remove the the great I think it's the Great Pacific trash pile oh, yeah. and Boy, and try perhaps. and yeah yeah and tr um just just lots of different people working on projects um there's like harbor drains and stuff to try and take like larger pieces of of trash and and plastic out of the oceans is there is there any way of of capturing or filtering out microplastics like even just from our drinking water is like is there is there a way that we could eventually like capture it as it comes through our like water I system I suppose so. I did actually, I read about, I can't remember his name now, but there was a young researcher who had found a way of filtering microplastics from water. And obviously, um, my research used equipment that obviously filters out microplastics in order to see them. It's just obviously making that widely available mm. to treat drinking water, I think would be quite a mammoth task. Yeah, I, I do think that is a possibility and um, things like washing machines for drinking water, etc. But the difficulty of microplastics is that once they're in the marine environment, you can't then filter them out because of their size. If you want to, you know, filter that part of the ocean, you'll end up filtering the base of the food chain out of the ocean because that's where the zooplankton, phytoplankton sit as yeah. well. And the microplastics will be among them and <laughs> you can't really... Yeah, you can't you can't really do that. Um, and also, you know, not just in the marine environment, we need to think about removing plastics from, but also we know that these plastics are airborne. I don't think it's any coincidence that Dyson have moved from vacuum cleaners to air purifiers. And if you've seen the um, Dyson Award that's recently been given to a group of students who've created this device that sits in front of a car tyre and it will mo remove the plastics from the air as the tyre's going round. Um, so yeah, that's something we need to consider as well if we want to um, remove plastics too. That's a really interesting um, little note about about Dyson moving into, <laughs> into air purifiers. Do you really think yeah. that's that's where they're going? Is 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 for microplastics, or do you think it's just for like air pollution, or would you count microplastics as a form of air pollution? No, definitely. I've looked at the um, filters, and they've got a filter for the organic pollutants in their air purifiers and they've also got one um yeah to capture particles in the air um yeah i i do believe they are they are quite on it with microplastics dyson have um, done work in rivers as well before where they've created um it's like a almost a catherine wheel for the river and as the river 
flows, this wheel turns, and it's got little pockets in, and it captures the plastics in those pockets and then deposits them onto like a conveyor belt above the wheel. Um, so they have been involved in plastic pollution um, projects before. So yeah, I do think they are <laughs> they are on it with microplastics, definitely. Wow. Okay. I didn't. I didn't realize James Dyson was this far ahead of the curve. Like that's impressive. Um, <laughs> I thought, you know, he was just about making things that that sucked. Yeah, very um, futuristic company. <laughs> yeah, to admire them. <laughs> um, it says, "What's to say here?" It says, "There's five hundred thousand tons of tire particles annually produced in Europe alone, and globally, it's estimated that tire wear accounts for nearly half of road transport particulate emissions." Wow. Mm. That's, I had not even considered that the tires on cars might be making pollution. You know, I was more worried about the engine. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) what the problem's been. Sort of people have been focusing on whether it's electric, petrol, whatever. But yeah, in terms of microplastics, it's actually the tires that (laughs) are the problem. Wow. So, um, what 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 is our like outlook for for this um in the future? Like, do we have some kind of plastic or or fiber or material that we know doesn't produce microplastics that could be used as a substitute for plastics? Um, like, and, and what what are the kind of prob- problematic plastics that we're maybe not thinking of? Is there is there any other examples like the like the tire um pollution that that we just sort of referenced? Um, I know lots of companies are sort of moving into trying to create bioplastics or biodegradable plastic, which um, obviously provides a lot of potential for moving away from generic plastics, but they've still got a long way to go with these products because a lot of them are labelled as biodegradable but actually aren't. So obviously people feel confident in buying these sorts of products not really knowing where they end up either so it's almost the same issue again okay what about what about like hemp plastic or or like um there's some other uh synthetic like plastics and materials you can get like a bamboo fibers that make like really strong strong materials like do they i i i hope that when if if there's those kinds of like bioplastics that they are not going to be producing like their own tiny little particles or or you know maybe i'm mistaken i think um i do think things like hemp and bamboo tend to be better i've actually got um i don't know if you've ever heard of peeler the phone case company they've made um biodegradable phone cases and i you know i switched one out when i got a new phone and chucked it on the garden to see if it would work and it actually did break down which was really clever that's cool I think they're um, they're looking at seaweed as well as being a potential. Yeah. I've seen um, um, so in um, countries where they use um, kind of items packed in in smaller packages to make it more affordable um, for people, they they have these sachets and they're using or they they trialed um, seaweed making these um, sachets out of seaweed. So and they're fully. And you can drink the seaweed as well when it dissolves. So they're using it for things like, um, like things like housing coffee. So you can just pop the sachet in your mug, pour the hot water on, the whole thing will just dissolve, and you can drink it as okay. well. Um, so there are new, yeah, definitely new materials coming in, which is really really good to see. That's, that's cool. That's similar to um, I don't know if you've ever ordered products from Lush. They have you know the sort of um, packing peanuts that you get. 
oh, the yeah. ones yeah the ones they've created um you just pour them into the sink pour water on them and i'm not sure what they're made of but they just dissolve and wash away they're brilliant that's really cool <laughs> i'd be tempted to check that now given that we've just talked about how there's lots of things that look invisible and and yet are there um as to exactly how small or it you know how dissolved they are <laughs> i'm gonna be <laughs> Uh, I could be super skeptical of anything that's that says it's it like I don't know dissolves or or disintegrates. Now I'm gonna be like, yeah, but it does it really? Is it really <laughs> gone? <laughs> You're gonna make me super paranoid about all um, all of this. Uh, so, is there new research that that you guys are working on? Is there anything that 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 you are either are reading about of of sort of interesting pieces of research into this, or or perhaps conducting yourselves? Um, I'm currently not conducting any research at the moment. I'm just in regular employment. Um, but our colleague Alex is still uh, doing her PhD looking at um, the ingestion of microplastics in, I think she's been looking at mitten crabs, deep sea fish, um, some whales and seals, basically any kind of organisms that she can get access to, I think. Mm. Yeah, I'm... Um yeah currently not um doing my own microplastics work i'm looking for opportunities at the moment in environmental consultancy and that sort of field so i can actually do something you know about this problem um but i do like to keep up to date with microplastics research and something that i find um quite interesting is they're now looking at microplastics as potential um, vectors for disease and um, so microplastics can have this um biofilm around them which okay. compiles um, pathogens, potentially antibiotic resistance bacteria. And because plastics, um, they are persistent, they can travel. Um, there's now the idea that, you know, these microplastics could act as yeah, vectors of disease or, um, you know, aiding the spread of antibiotic resistance bacteria through just purely, you know, traveling through the water system. So if you think about in the water, what, you know, what would usually be there, it would be organic matter, sort of leaves, twigs, etc. that would flow through, through the river, but they would break down. So they're sort of, you know, the distance they can travel has a, a limit, but with plastics, because they persist, they can, you know, travel far and wide. So yeah, there is this new problem. I think that's really interesting. I think, um, yeah, more research to come on that would be brilliant. Yeah, I read some similar stuff uh, to do with that and not only microplastics acting as a vector for it but also um you know larger pieces of plastic as kate said they persist for so long so they're really good almost rafts for bacteria and also invasive species from other countries that could potentially be coming over and obviously that brings with itself more problems on our native wildlife Hmm. So what you're saying is that the the disease like sticks basically to the to the biofilm that's like around mm. the plastics and then sort of lives there until it it can I don't know jump off on something else. Um, is that's that's scary. Um, <laughs> especially right. Yeah. So what what you're saying is that um, microplastics caused COVID. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's another conspiracy theory add to the list. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I'm, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's an insane list of, of crazy theories that people have got about it. Um, 
The worst bit is, right, is I, like a friend of mine sat, sat and just, um, this is, I, I, we'll get back to plastics in a second. But a friend and I sat down and like wrote, wrote down just what had happened like with, with coronavirus, like in the most basic language possible. Yeah. And it just reads like a conspiracy theorist wrote it. Like that's <laughs> literally how it reads. It's, it's, it's like, you don't, you don't have to exaggerate anything, but it just yeah. sounds like someone has made it up. It's like this <laughs> yeah. much, this, this virus just appeared in Wuhan, China near a biological weapons lab that had been sanctioned for, for safety violations. And then the entire world shut down and they took away all our, our, uh, you know, rights and civil liberties for a while. Like, that's literally what, like, that's just, it's so ridiculous when you think about it. It does, um, it does sound so made up because um, I remember right at the beginning of lockdown, one of the most highly recommended films on Netflix was called Pandemic. And it was essentially about what's happened in the past year, but it was made last year. Right. It's insane. <laughs> That's crazy. I didn't know that. Yeah. I just find myself watching like contagion and all like disease related <laughs> related films. And there's one there's one from the eighties with Morgan Freeman in it, which is absolutely amazing. I can't remember what it's called. I think it's Dustin Hoffman. And they they, they start talking about um the 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 film comes to an end with like this army major trying to blow up like an entire city to to hide the fact that he was responsible for this disease. It's like, it, it couldn't be more 80s if you tried. Um, <laughs> it's fantastic. Um, so like how scared, yeah, to get back to the kind of the, the topic I asked you guys on for, um, <laughs> um, I want to take advantage of your knowledge. Um, so in terms of, of the future, like how... How how terrified or optimistic are you for for I don't know how how much impact this is going to have on on just like aquatic populations on um maybe like wildlife as a whole upon ecosystems and 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 you know perhaps our ability to either solve it or whether it's going to be a serious issue because if you if like you're saying it's been around for a hundred years and we're only realizing now is that because it's not that bad or is that because we've made it a lot worse recently I think. It's a combination of we have made it worse recently and also we now have the technology to be able to study these things. You know, 100 years ago, we didn't have microscopes that could ever look at microplastics, mm. whereas we now do. But, um, yeah, I guess I try not to remain terrified about the situation, but <laughs> I'm also not optimistic. I think I would say I'm sort of um, in between on the level of cynical. So I think... Obviously, there are things we can do in the future to try and sort of stop adding to the problem. But I also don't think we can ever reverse the problem. Like we'll we will never be able to remove all of the ocean's plastic and especially not all of the ocean's microplastics. And that's only looking at the ocean and not taking into account other environments like air pollution, soil pollution. Mm. No, I think it. Yeah, it is a you know, a real issue and it is something to be concerned about. But, you know, I, I do think that we could, you know, turn the tide on this. As Katie said, I don't think we could ever, you know, make the planet perfect, remove all plastics. But I do think there's a lot we can do sort of now and we need to do now, um, yeah, to not make this problem worse. Um, I think, you know, we've shown some quite... Um, good moves in the last few years, for example, with you know the microbeads ban, plastic bag charges, um, incentives for bringing people's own you know reusable cups and that sort of thing. And I think you know we've just got the wheels turning on this. And I do think 
yeah, maybe I'm, I'm a little bit. Um, yeah, I'm quite positive. I think, yeah, we've seen some really good changes and I think there'll be more to come. So what can we do now? You mentioned there are some things we can do. Like what what can we do at the moment? We can switch from single-use plastics. Like Kate said, there's obviously lots of incentives now for people bringing reusable coffee cups and things like that. Um, switching out, you know, plastic shopping bags for reusable bags or, um, you know, different, like we said earlier, moving to different types of materials. So a lot of bamboo products are being produced now. I use bamboo toothbrushes instead of plastic ones now. And you can get reusable face wipes instead of using wet wipes. There's lots of options now. So, you know, on that front, the same as Kate, I am very positive about the sort of options that we're being given in order to switch. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, there's lots we can do in terms of behaviour change. I think the key with plastic pollution, I don't know if you've ever heard Richard Thompson speak, but he's got this... Um, wonderful metaphor for plastics he describes it as this you know like the issue of an overflowing bath so if you go upstairs you know your bath is overflowing you know what do you do do you mop the floor or do you turn off the tap and I think that can really relate to this problem of plastic pollution where the key now is that we really do need to turn off this plastic tap and that you know as Katie said can be through behavior changes so not you know needing you know, not using this plastic, thinking of new materials we can use instead. Um, and it, But it has to come as well from sort of this top-down um, influence as well. So we do need, you know, supermarkets and manufacturers to not be producing this plastic in the first place, looking for alternatives and making sure when they do produce plastic, it can actually, you know, be recycled and put into a more circular economy. Um, and so one way they can you know, do that is design plastics for end of life. Um, so, for example, um, bottles that have colour in, they're far more difficult to recycle because the colour um, in a plastic, so if you have a bottle that's, you know, orange, green, um, the value of the recyclate is decreased if it's got colour in. So making, you know, bottles all clear, um, for example, will give the recyclate a higher value. So you can then... So it gives companies more incentive to then actually recycle because they'll make, you know, profit from it and they can um, turn that material into something of a higher value. So it's just thinking more carefully about, you know, what we do with plastics and how we do design for end of life as well. Surely if we're just going to continue to use the plastics and recycle them, then they're, they're going to keep producing microplastics or, or are you say, suggesting we should like try and find the plastics is there is there types of plastics that don't produce microplastics at all or do we need to yeah. get to that recyclable a, point or the sorry uh, the like bioplastic point they oh, oh, sorry. oh i was just gonna say um i suppose the issue isn't necessarily that all plastics create microplastics it's that plastics that are disposed of incorrectly create microplastics in environments where they shouldn't be so if you know for example if someone doesn't recycle something or even you know i've seen plenty of people like littering single-use face masks at the moment Mm. instead of putting them into a bin so obviously as they degrade you know on the road those microplastics are going to be released into the environment into the air or if they're chucked into a waterway then they'll degrade in that environment and again 
that's where they're going to create issues. Mm-hmm. So if, you know, plastics themselves aren't the issue, we started using plastics because they're a very, very valuable resource. They're such a good material, especially when you consider things like medical equipment. It's just how we dispose of it. So if we're disposing of things properly, they're not going to be such an issue in the future. Okay. Kate, did you have anything? Oh, no, I was basically, I think Katie um, explained that beautifully. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, say the same as plastics aren't the problem. You know, it's, or, you know, they're very good material, but it's how we dispose of them currently. That is the problem. Um, if you encourage um, plastics to actually be recycled to go into what we call um, circular economy, then you are preventing them from entering the wrong environment where they can produce microplastics and cause harm. So, yeah, what Katie, what Katie said. Hmm. <laughs> so do you think what, that this requires something beyond just like an approach in Britain? Because surely if, if the, the, the microplastics are enduring for a long, long time and uh, then they are getting transferred potentially all around the world through the oceans and waterways and, and whatnot, surely that we're going to need a global agreement to basically all recycle our plastic? Or is, is there, I don't know. I maybe, feel, um, yeah. sorry, I was going to say, I feel the onus lies on countries like the UK or the USA as well, because as with a lot of environmental issues, especially climate change, um, you know, commun- communities in developing countries are often the ones that are most impacted by this and they're also the ones who are contributing the least to it so it should be our responsibility to essentially clean up our own mess and not you know make it into an issue for other people who don't have the money and resources to fix it for themselves Mm. i think especially when they're not creating the problem in the first place Mm. i think companies as well they have you know global stretch so i think there is you know a big responsibility on um companies and corporations to actually um yeah be responsible for their plastic waste um yeah we have the example of think walkers you know producing all of these crisp packets but don't um you know um cl- you know have take responsibility for cleaning yeah. up so it's yeah i think companies as well Okay. So if you if you had to like lay out some so so far in the UK we've had legislation to stop uh plastic straws um and some plastic bags and I think there's like some new regulations coming in on trying to reduce all of non all the non-reusable plastics although as you sort of mentioned that was pre-covid before we all started getting our disposable masks. Yeah. Um like what would be what would be the biggest targets for you for trying to reduce um microplastic pollution like where where would you start would it would it be with like saying okay we're gonna change the type of plastic we're using would you say okay we're gonna like ramp up recycling like where would be your focus i think um i'm biased because my research paper was specifically looking at wet wipes so i do think they are a huge source of microplastics in the environment and they're something that could very easily be banned um but also, I think, 
we do need to improve our recycling processes and that often you know just comes with clearer guidelines a lot of products aren't labeled very well so consumers don't know the best way to recycle them so we need better guidance for consumers when they're buying these products because like we said plastic products aren't the issue it's how we dispose of them and if people just simply don't know how to dispose of them properly then that's you know that should be on the government to make sure that there are sort of certain regulations when producing these products that they also come with clear guidelines Mm, definitely i really agree with what katie just said there i think sort of to prioritize this i think it's really important to get the materials and what we actually produce first sorted and then sort of have this big push for recycling because at the moment you know as Katie said it is confusing and we are producing a lot of materials that cannot be recycled or are very difficult to recycle so getting on top of what we produce first and then improving our recycling I think would be the way around to do it. Mm. Like most people wouldn't consider wet wipes to be something that's produ- that's plastic or is producing microplastics like uh, how 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 much damage are they actually causing on because uh, i know you looked at i think what you ca- you described them as as wet wipe reefs yeah um, like like just how much how many are that of them like building up on the bottom of the thames and and you know how much damage are they actually causing i mean it's another another one that's very difficult to actually quantify um mm. My research, I worked with um, a charity in London called Thames 21 who do river cleanups and they do every year they do what they call their big count, which is where they go and um, count the number of wet wipes along this uh, this section of the foreshore of the Thames. I think when we went with them in 2019, they counted uh, 25,000 just in one stretch. And that's, of course, only down to a certain depth within that area of the foreshore because they do create these ginormous they are like reefs they're like big mounds of you know thousands of wet wipes that are all compacted together Hmm. does does anything live on it like you know life's pretty pretty uh abundant and you know it, it was it dr malcolm from jurassic park says life will find a way like do you see has, has there been like signs of adaptation to like these varying environments or is it just just like choking the life out of of the river ecosystem i think the issue is because to us you know 100 years of plastic seems like a long time but in terms of evolution no you know no organism is going to adapt to that kind of environment in such a short space of time Mm. so what my research actually found was that the plastics are having an impact on you know um populations of invertebrates i specifically looked at a species of clam and it was you know very clear to see without even doing any data analysis that the clams couldn't exist in high numbers where all of these wet wipes were because they just cover the surface and they essentially can't breathe underneath the whole mound of wet wipes Mm. so it's suffocating wildlife essentially so like what does that is that like really destabilizing the ecosystem or is it just killing it like is it is it affecting like a particular is it just affecting like the clams or invertebrates like you'd looked at or did you did you find that you could see it affecting the entire ecosystem um well obviously i didn't look at any other species in particular but 
Mm. You know, just looking at one species is always a good indicator of how it may be affecting other species. And the clams that I looked at are an invasive um, species in the UK. So obviously, in terms of conservation, they're not particularly important and no one cares about them and, you know, with good reason. (laughs) But that does obviously pose problems for our native wildlife. And that's something that we do really need to be, you know, conservative of because we don't want to lose our native wildlife. And if it's having these in, these horrible impacts on very competitive species, then, you know, other ones that are considered less competitive and less likely to survive are not going to have a chance. Well, that's kind of scary. If the, if the, uh, I guess if, if the scavengers start dying, then, you know, we're, we're screwed. If the, if the rats and the seagulls are st- all started leaving, we'd, we'd, we'd probably see that as quite a serious problem. Um, yeah. In terms of like like how how toxic the environment was, so um, do you think it's just out of sight, out of mind in terms of why this isn't a bigger issue? Because we just can't see what's happening on the floors of the ocean. Like the oceans are like vastly unexplored, and we just don't have like a good grasp on on exactly how the entire ocean and water waterways of the whole world sort of fo- function together. Do you, is it is it just like a, a lack of being able to see what the damage is that that makes people sort of not concerned about it i think maybe it's you know a touch of ignorance really because yes there are obviously aspects of it that are very difficult for us to actually study but there's so much research out there i mean you know even just looking at david attenborough's documentaries there's so many resources for people to learn about these things but the people who know so much about it are the ones who go out and do the research for themselves. Mm. So what we really need is sort of some kind of government strategy, e.g. a Green New Deal, that starts delivering this kind of research to people more readily so that they don't have to go out and find the information for themselves because not everyone will be inclined to. Okay. So um, one final question to to wrap up here like what what would you say that the best thing that people can do to to either reduce their microplastic um creation or you know to stop fueling the this uh, apparently not very not very nice vicious circle of of plastic and pollution like where can we start like personally on an individual level um, I think a good place to start, um, especially in COVID, is to use a reusable face mask if you if you can. Um, I think that's something that's rather, really surprised me. Actually, is you know we had such a positive attitude towards you know bring your own plastic bags, go shopping, bring your own reusable cup. But then as soon as this pandemic has come along, I don't know about you, but I think the split that I've seen of sort of reusable masks to disposable ones is you know sixty disposable. 40 reusable so you know I, I was quite surprised by that so I think in terms of what people can do now I think it's just thinking more carefully about you know the plastics they're using um because often when they are using plastics they don't they don't need to and there are alternatives yeah. um but I think as well we do need as I've said this you know top-down um influence as well I think you know, it's a lot of pressure to put on somebody um, just to say, you know, re- reduce your plastic waste in the 
you know, the society we currently live in. I think there are things you can do in your own, you know, personal um, life and there are choices you can make. But yeah, it's made quite difficult at the moment from, for example, when you go shopping and supermarket and you're almost having to make these ethical choices about, you know, picking up food about which one has got the better, you know, packaging on or or whatever. Um, So I think there's a lot that can be done there. It's definitely a bit exhausting sometimes. You got like every every decision in the twenty first century has some sort of horrible, unforeseen impact. Um, but the 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 masks thing is 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 really interesting. I see that you mention it. Like I I, I kind of think the reason that people are still going for disposable masks is that that they don't see it as something that they want to buy permanently because that's accepting yeah. that they'll have to use it permanently. Um, maybe i don't know i was considering the other day i was like maybe they just don't want to buy you know it's like it's like it's like giving in to something you don't really want to do yeah (laughs) Yeah. um which which i i you know i can see but yeah you know i I, unfortunately whatever your stance is i think you know there's we are going to be in this um sort of pandemic for yeah or the the consequences Mm. of this pandemic for the long term in terms of um you know face mask wearing etc it's ironic though because like you say obviously people perhaps don't want to buy into it but reusable face masks are actually a lot cheaper than buying the big packs of disposable ones on amazon to see how much a big pack would be and it was ridiculously expensive i think i've got four masks which i uh you know go to washing machine and can reuse and you think gosh people must be spending so much money on yeah. but I think the problem really um, a lot of people are actually <laughs> then almost not using these you know single use masks once I see a lot of people um, you know getting on the tube they get a mask out of their handbag which is absolutely filthy <laughs> but they've yeah. always had a mask like four or five days and think mm, mm, really yeah yeah, but yeah. then at that, at that point, I think if you're just like pulling out of your handbag, you're wearing it because you have to, not because you're you're trying to prevent some kind of, of disease spreading. Um, it's 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 more of an obligation than you're doing it for the the reasons that you're being asked to wear it. So, I think it's it's yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of interesting psychological research into people's mask wearing things um, yeah. in the next year or so. Yeah. It's I, it's um, okay. yeah, I think there'll be some seriously interesting stuff thought um brought out but anyway i have got um another call here at 11 so i'm gonna have to run um but uh it was an absolute pleasure um ladies thanks thanks very much for uh terrifying me and making me really paranoid (laughs) thanks so much for listening if you haven't already and you enjoyed this episode please subscribe to this podcast and to our mailing list and don't forget my book brexit the establishment civil war is now available for pre-order on amazon You'll find the links in the description below. Until next time, thanks so much for listening.